Pew Packers remains just a wonderful time, doesn't it? It's great to be here and sing along and watch as they uh, continue training. It's good to see Terry Pafford here. God's good. Life is hard, but God is good. I was texting back and forth with a short guy by the name of Carl Ivanhoe between services, and he was saying, you know, Mike, that's true, but we all seem to have friends and acquaintances who believe life is good, but God is hard. Think about that. And really, it's a different language altogether from what Christians are about. Take a moment and open your Bible to Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. And I'm going to ask Lynn, if he would, to read that passage momentarily. Adam, if you would turn to Titus 3, 4 through 7. And in a little while, I'll have you read this. You know, often when we talk about the grace of God, and that's what we were dealing with this morning and looking at tonight too. Just God's gallery of grace, that's a great way to look at the New Testament. No matter how hard times may be, God is good. When we talk about grace, it seems to me that there are several definitions or descriptions that are frequently given. The first one consists of two words in English, unmerited favor. It's good as far as it goes as a description, but it really doesn't tell us as much as one would like about grace. It's unmerited favor, but the idea seems that more that we didn't deserve it on that God gives it some way, sometimes. Then you think about God's riches at Christ's expense, another description of grace. You think of favor given when anger was owed, All three of those descriptions are helpful, but normally it is better to just let the Bible speak. And when we talk about God's grace, God is by nature gracious. It's part of who He is. It's part of His perfect character. Now listen to Lynn, read Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, and really what you'll see in this passage is something fascinating. God is gracious because three components, characteristics of God, all come together that make Him gracious. Listen, and I'm going to stop him as he reads. Stop, please, just a moment. If you mark in your Bibles, mark the expression, rich in mercy. Does it sound like God is hard? Life is good, but God is hard? No, I don't think so. It sounds like God is good. Keep reading if you don't mind, Lynn, and I'll stop you again if you don't mind, please. Stop, please. Great love, rich mercy, great love. Now, please keep reading. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places 
stop please? Kindness. Kindness. Now go ahead and finish. Thank you, and I appreciate you letting me stop you, but I think it's important, and maybe even underscore those terms. When we talk about God being gracious, it is due to His rich mercy, His great love, and His unbelievable kindness. That's why we can say we have been saved by grace. Were God not perfect In those qualities, those characteristics, we would not know the grace that we enjoy in the Lord. Now look at Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Titus 3, 4 through 7. And Adam, if you don't mind, stand and read this and note something because it's going to be interesting. Note some parallels. Note some synonymous expressions. Stop. (laughs) When the kindness and the what? Love. Please keep going. Whoa. There's that term. Kindness, love, mercy. Keep reading, please. Justified by grace. And again, the Apostle Paul relates this to God's love, God's mercy, and His kindness or His goodness toward us. Great passages to think about because they help us deal with the idea that life is good. Well, life does contain a lot of good, doesn't it? And a lot of blessings. But life is good because God is good. Life is hard because sin is a reality, and we have to live with its fact. So God is gracious. Now, what we're going to do tonight is pick up at the book of Ephesians. So turn there in your Bible. This morning, we looked at the gallery of grace, just a number of the 155 times it's mentioned in the New Testament, beginning with the gospel accounts. We've worked our way through the book of Acts. We've spent some time together in some of Paul's letters, and now we'll pick up in Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 6. If we could get people to see the greatness of God's grace... I would think they would want to beat the walls down to come to the Lord in baptism. Ephesians 1.6 speaks of His glorious grace. His glorious grace. We need to be willing to talk about what the Bible says regarding the grace of God. Sometimes there may have been some reluctance on the part of a very few brethren over the years to speak much about grace because it has been so distorted and perverted by denominational people. 
The fact that it's been distorted and perverted doesn't mean we should be quiet about it. It means we ought to teach the truth about it. Wouldn't you agree? Now, looking at this, look at verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. It speaks of the riches of His grace. God's grace is glorious. God's grace is incredibly rich. And it is an account from which we are privileged to benefit. Turn to Ephesians 4 and look at verse 29. God is good. Even when life is hard. You know, here at Westside, it's good to see Brother Terry back after something of a health scare. It's good to see Dale Wolf here with us again tonight. We want to keep people in prayer like Andrew Solomon as he continues to receive treatment in Cuba. And I think some good things are coming from a note we received from him in the last couple of days. Keep Gay Kyle in your prayers. It's my understanding that Jack Laskowitz is going to have back surgery in a few days, and we certainly want to keep Jack in our prayers. He's been in quite a bit of pain in recent days. Look at Ephesians 4.29. It's a passage that causes a lot of reflection, self-examination. Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, but such as is useful to edification, that it might minister grace to its hearers. Does our speech minister grace? Does it edify? Do we say what's on our mind? Do we think that because it's a free country, we can say anything and everything we want? Christians ought not think that way. Christians will say things that build up, that minister grace, that honor God. Good questions like this. Is it necessary? Is this practicing the golden rule? Would I want or need someone to say this to me? Were I in this individual's circumstances? Is it loving? Can I truly honor Jesus by saying these words? Is it a good time to be saying them? Sometimes you say the right thing, but at the wrong time and place. I know I've certainly done that. God give us the grace to speak with grace. Colossians. Turn to Colossians 1 verse 6 in your Bible. In Colossians 1 verse 6, you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. You heard and understood the grace of God in truth. The message of God's saving grace can be heard, it can be understood, it can be embraced. The gospel, it's truth. Look, if you will, at Colossians 3.16. It's a great passage about God's grace, and it'll have a lot to do with how we sing, how we praise, how we worship. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord, singing His praise, singing about how favorable God has been toward us. Singing that He is good. It'd be pretty hard to whisper that, don't you think? It ought to be something that we want to enthusiastically engage in. I left out Philippians. It's still between in most of our Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But I didn't forget it. Not at least long term. Let's look at Philippians. If you will, look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It speaks of being partakers of grace. It's a marvelous term. We are fellowshippers. We are joint participants in grace. Made possible by Jesus. We're in this together, the body of Christ, the church. Having looked at Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, let's look at Thessalonians briefly. Turn in your Bibles, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 16. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 16. First and 2 Thessalonians are books about living in holiness because Jesus is coming back. But it's not just about living in holiness because Jesus is coming back. First and Second Thessalonians are about living in holiness and in hope because Jesus is coming back. Now look at Second Thessalonians 2.16. God has given us everlasting comfort and good hope through grace. Don Blackwell has been mentioned several times uh, already, and I hope that you'll mention him frequently and his wife, Sherry, in your prayers. The prognosis is he will not walk again. If it were based just on willpower, I've known Don well for some time. If it were based just on willpower, I believe Don could possibly walk even when they thought that he wouldn't. But for those of us that are children of God, there comes a time that all the willpower in the world won't improve things. We understand the desperate need of grace. So we can pray for our brother and for his wife, our sister, Sherry, that they know God's grace and favor in a very difficult time. God is good, even when times are hard. I believe that, and I hope that you do too, because it's at the core of who God really is. He is gracious. Look, if you will, at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I believe it is verse 14. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 14. Paul is speaking about his conversion experience and how he had obtained mercy. But if you look at 1 Timothy 1 and verse 14, he says, The grace of God overflowed 
toward me. Isn't that a marvelous expression? We were just singing about marvelous grace, grace that covers my sin, that cleanses me from all my sin. The best known song about grace, I'm sure, has to be Amazing Grace. The writer of that particular hymn, at the conclusion of his life, said something that every Christian can undoubtedly agree with. At the close of his life, he said, I have been a great sinner. I have been a great sinner. I have come to know a great Savior. Isn't that true? Paul, what he did, he did in ignorance, but he was a great sinner. Faithful is the saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Grace. Grace. Let's go to Titus. Titus. Notice Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, instructing us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Jesus has come. The grace of God has appeared that brings salvation. How are you doing in the school of grace? Because grace teaches us about how we should live. If God is so beneficent, if God is so gracious and good and generous, and we really find that to be an attractive quality, we have to respond. We have to. That's what Titus 2, 11 and 12 are about. Let's move on to the part of Scripture called the general epistles, the general letters. More could be said from each of Paul's letters about the subject of grace. He certainly was a tremendous student of the grace of God. But let's move on to the book of Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, 16. That passage says that when we pray, we can pray with confidence and boldness as we come before the throne of His grace. When you really let that sink in, prayer will take on a new dimension in our life. One of the subjects I dealt with at Focal Point, the workshop for church leaders, preachers, a number of others, was called the forgotten factor in preaching. Prayer is what I chose to talk about. You know, Tim, it's easy to talk about getting into the Word and exegesis and the original languages and all kinds of things, brother. 
But in the early church, they said, we will give ourselves to the Word of God and prayer. Acts 6, 4. Stop and think about this with me. What if all of our schools of preaching and Christian universities and teaching men how to preach, half of the curriculum was about the Word of God and half the curriculum was about how to pray in a way that really approaches the throne of grace in a marvelous way? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great? Let's put it closer to home. In our education, let's not ever set aside the Word of God and knowing its precious truth. But why don't we also stress with even greater emphasis than we presently do, prayer. Prayer. Sometimes we are limping. Hey, Steve, one leg is longer than the other. You got one leg that's three inches shorter than the other spiritually speaking, because you're long on Scripture study, but short on prayer. You walk with a limp, and it creates all kinds of back problems, doesn't it? Blessed are the balanced here. We often take it for granted that people know how to pray. I long for these little people that are in pew packers to come to different ones in this church and say, I've been listening to you to you pray. Will you help me? I want to pray like that. And I got to tell you, I've listened to a few little people pray over the years, and I've said the same thing to myself. I want to pray like they do. You You know what I mean? Turn, if you will. To Hebrews 10.29, which refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of grace. Jesus is gracious. The Father is gracious. The Spirit is the Spirit of grace. I don't want to do insult or despite to the Spirit of grace by mistreating His gracious provision. Hebrews 12, 15, it is possible to fail to obtain the grace of God. Hebrews 12, 15. Receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 12, 28. Let us have grace, gratitude. Let us serve God with the sense of reverence and godly fear. Hebrews 13, 9. By holding on to the truth, to healthy instruction, our hearts can be strengthened by grace. Look at James with me briefly. Turn to James 4 verse 6. But God gives more grace. That little M-O-R-E term, more grace. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. First Peter, chapter 
1 Peter 1, verse 10. Also notice verse 13. I'll mention those two. They prophesied of the grace of God that would come to you. God's always been gracious in giving, but in a special, in a special sense, those of us who live... In the New Testament dispensation, the Christian era, we know God's grace in a special way. Don't you think for a moment that we don't. Christ has died. Christ has arose. The church is a reality. Set your hope on the revelation of the grace that will come. Verse 13. Second Peter. Notice chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace are multiplied through knowledge. Grace and peace are multiplied through knowledge of God and His will. Almost as it were a bookend, turn to 2 Peter 3.18. Grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've known some people through the years that I felt grew in, in knowledge but not in grace. And a few that were really aware of God's love and goodness, but didn't seem to really grow much in knowledge. It's not an either-or matter. And we shouldn't separate what God has put together. That seems to me that it's really more of the devil than of the Lord when you think about it. Real spiritual growth and greater transformation and being more like Jesus grow in grace and in knowledge. Turn to the book of Jude. Look at Jude verse 4. It is possible to twist and to distort God's grace, to turn grace into licentiousness or lasciviousness. We must not twist what God intends to transform us. We must not twist what God intends to transform us. Last basic type of New Testament book, Revelation. We have looked at the Gospel accounts, the book of Acts, the letters of Paul, 13 of them. We've mentioned a number of references to grace in those. We've overviewed and seen something of the gallery of grace in the general letters, the general epistles. Now we come to Revelation. Scripture's last words. Revelation 22, 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to see. 
just as the Bible talks about salvation in a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense, you have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. The Bible speaks of salvation in those tenses, right? We can look back at the time we came out of the waters of baptism. Our sins were washed away. We were saved. You are being saved if you hold fast. Colossians 1, 23. We look forward to the day of Christ's return when we will see salvation culminated and we'll be with Him forever. Future tense. The same exact truth applies to grace. If you have been a Christian any length of time, you can speak about God's gracious provisions for you in the past. God's been good is what we would say. Isn't that true? There is a present sense of grace in which we as the people of God can say, God is being good still. He is still being good. He's still being gracious. Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. He's good. Present. But there's something else we can say about God's grace. And we can be confident of it right now. Future grace. I know God will be gracious tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me or for you. But I know that God will be gracious. Isn't God amazing? The time will come if the Lord does not come in our lifetime when we will grow older, we will grow sick, and we will die. It is the way it's been since sin entered the world. But because of Jesus, we can say, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. He is gracious. That's the God that we love and serve. And that's the God we want others to know and love and obey too. One comes to Jesus through faith, repentance, and baptism. No matter how hard individuals may try, and one wonders why they try in the first place, if they really understand grace, why would they want to take faith and repentance and baptism out of the Bible? What God has put there, man has no right to take out. You must respond in love to one whose love is so amazing and so divine. Respond in obedience with love and humility. Let us stand and sing.